Now, we've been uh, looking at some key points in, in um, God's building program. Through the year, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah and sometimes diving into Ezra. But uh, what's important to understand is that there's a building program going on in your life. <clears throat> And uh, just as real as it was for Nehemiah and uh, the Israelites who were rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. But in that building program, we find out he's not just making a, a structure in your life, not just putting um, order into your life. He has a purpose in your life. And as we learned our, through our memory verse in 1 Peter 2, 5, we are, we are a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices. Now, where does that happen? Does that happen in a church building? Does it happen, you know, out uh, on the lake? Where does it happen? Well, it happens in your life. And the Christian life, as I've said, is a place that ought to be uh, a temple. It is a temple. In Psalm 51 and verse 10, I want to talk to you about cleansing God's temple. And that God takes it very serious the way we treat His temple. Psalm 51.10, let's just look at that. Verse 10 says, create in me a, what? Next two words, please. A clean heart. Say it with me louder. A clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Now, the truth is, there is a battle going on in every believer here this morning. The battle is about how much rubbish you're going to tolerate in you before you get tired of it and want to clean it up. Now, guys have much more of a rubbish tolerance, generally, than women do. Guys will let the dishes pile up. Amen? Amen. Man, what's the purpose of washing them? They'll just get dirty again. <laughs> we will let clothes go from washing until we're out of clothes. We go, I guess I got to wash clothes. Now, the question is, how long are we willing to go before what's filthy in us, we get tired of and we say it's time to clean up. And, and if only we just would get tired of it. Because I'm, gonna hear, I'm here to tell you that the stuff that builds up inside of us is not good. And it comes between us and God, and it comes between us and our, our, our family. It comes between us and just living. Now, we've learned three very important facts about our bodies. I need you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 16, we've learned three very important facts about our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Look at two scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So, listen, I mean, people can burn down churches, people can, can defile buildings, but God doesn't get upset about that like He gets upset at how we treat the temple of God today. Let's go to chapter 6 now in verse 19. Chapter 6 and verse 19. What? It's like my mother, when she would start a conversation. What? You knew you had to, you were in trouble. What? Know ye not that, uh, uh, I, I'm, um, verse 19, sorry, I was reading verse 16. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So three great truths there in those two verses. One is, every born-again Christian is a temple for God. You're all God's temple. There's not one that's a temple and one that's an outhouse. Every born-again believer is the temple of God. Secondly, you are each a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. I wish you figured that out. I wish you realized that the presence of God goes with you everywhere you go, and you can sense His presence, you can hear His voice, you can know you're okay because of His presence in you. The Holy Spirit is actually indwelling the life of a frail, flawed human being. Thank God. I was tired of being empty. I was tired of being barren and, and 
wasted. It's nice to have somebody want to live with you, amen? The third great truth that we've learned this month is that God takes it serious if any man defiles, any woman defiles their temple. Now, what does it mean to defile? Well, I told you last week, it means to, to pollute, to dump rubbish into, to poison, spoil, ruin, or taint, or pervert, or damage something else. I don't know if you realize it, but countries all over this world dump vast amounts of raw sewage into our oceans. When you hear about a fish kill here in Ireland, sometimes it's because some water treatment plant nearby bursts and it all goes in there and kills fish. And it's a, it's a poison, but it is a defiling. And did you know Ireland, up to about 15 years ago, used to pump raw sewage out of Dublin seven miles out into the Atlantic Ocean, out into the Irish Sea. It was just, they finally had to stop it. The EU shut it down, but they were poisoning the ocean. You ever watched a film? Maybe you were reading something and it just made you feel dirty afterwards. It didn't edify you. It didn't help you. It just... Just something you wish you could take those two hours back. It affected you, affected the way you felt around other people, grieved you. Well, that's what it's like being defiled. Now, what does it mean for us in 2018? Well, we need to take this very seriously. If your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost dwells in you and God will destroy anybody who defiles that temple, we need to sit up and take note and go, what do I do? What do I, how, how do I keep it clean? See, the modern philosophy is, leave me alone, especially my body, my body, my choice. What I do is none of your business. I wonder where all that attitude came from. It came from hell. You can tell me to leave you alone, but you cannot tell God that because he made you. And when he died on that cross, he bought you, lock, stock, and barrel. He paid the highest price imaginable to save you from hell. Is that me or you? Okay, we'll fix that. He paid the highest price imaginable to save you from hell. And there you are trying to tell God, leave me alone. I wouldn't do that if I were you, because you belong to him. I need you to go to 2 Corinthians now. You're in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Every once in a while, we need one of these ground shaker, heart quaker messages that, that gets us to sit up straight and realize we need to fly straight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 says this, For we must circle that next word. All, now he's talking to believers, but every believer is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And not to determine whether you get into heaven or not, but it's to determine what you did with your body. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. You're going to be rewarded or be rebuked for what you did in this body according to that he had done, whether it's good or whether it be bad. By way of background, your body's an amazing place to worship God in. Don't you dare wait for Sunday before you praise God. Don't you dare wait for the right moment to praise Him, for the right feeling. Uh, I know plenty of people, uh, when somebody gets a, 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 just a blessing or they get a check in the mail or you know, somebody comes by and wants to take them to dinner and everybody, woo, praise God. Don't you wait for that before you praise God. You were made to praise the Lord. You were, you were designed, your voice, your vocal cords, your mind, your whole body is designed to reflect praise. Funny thing, all of these movie stars and all of these music stars and all of these politicians, they absorb the praise. You weren't designed to absorb you're designed to reflect it and deflect it back into the one who made you, loves you. Your body's an amazing pray, place for you to worship God any and at all times. But here's the truth. Your body's supposed to be holy and clean. Now mark this down in your head. Not perfect. 
God doesn't need a perfect place for him to be worshipped. I mean, he sat down, Jesus came down, dwelt amongst men, and he sat down, and they just sang and praised God anywhere. They didn't, they didn't have to be in the temple. They didn't have to have everything right. As a matter of fact, he's in, he's in the boat, the storm, and he's, uh, he's not in the boat. Let me give you the illustration where they're in the storm going across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus walking on the water, and I guarantee you he was praising God in the storm. The disciples were terrified. He said, why are you so afraid? See, you don't have to be perfect for you to praise God. You do need to be clean. There are too many people who are so worried about being perfect, making things perfect, saying things perfect. And you know, sometimes before I get up and preach, I pray, Lord, take over. Let me not say something stupid. But you know what I know? Whether I say something stupid or even offensive or wrong or whatever, I'm going to try and praise God and lift him up so that all men are drawn unto Jesus, not unto me. So don't be so worried about being perfect and the way you look and the way you act and the way you talk and everything about you. You know, I used to look down on, on um, Richard Bruton because I, I noticed that, that, I don't know, he just wasn't a great leader back when he was Taoiseach. How many remember when he was Taoiseach? How many remember that? And the media made fun of him. He would have disheveled hair. He just, he just seemed to always be rushing from place to place. He didn't seem to be well organized. I respect him now because he's taking the side of life. And he's taking the side to protect the un life of the unborn. And I go, you know what? I judged him way too harsh because I was looking at the outward thing. And isn't that a shame? That's an absolute shame, folks. Because we're all worried. You know, Bertie Hearn came on after that, and Bertie Hearn paid thousands of euros a month for somebody to stand behind him and constantly comb his hair. <laughs> and we paid for it. But we, don't you worry about being perfect when you need to be worried about being clean. 1 Corinthians, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, we read it there, but I want you to see verse 20 here in context. <coughs> what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God where? In your body. Does your body glorify God? Yeah, I got 18 tattoos all over me that say, praise Jesus. <laughs> Is that glorifying God? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, both of which are God's. They belong to God. Our hearts, our thinking, our spirit, our bodies are supposed to be clean and washed and beautiful to God like any temple should be. But we're not usually clean. You know why David cried out in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart? He was filthy. What had he been found out for? What had humbled him and broke him and, and nearly broke, uh, uh, defeated him? What was it? Lust, Bathsheba, adultery. And so he felt filthy. He felt, he said, I don't know how I never come into your presence again. God, and I, I miss it. I can't, I don't want to ever miss the closeness I had with you. God, start all over with me if you have to. Cleanse me, wash me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. We're not usually clean. Why? Because we get soiled. We get defiled. We get ruined on the inside. Go back to chapter, you're in chapter 6, look, look, go back to verse 15. Knowing not that your bodies are the members of Christ, shall I then take the member of Christ, your body, and make it the member of a harlot? What is that talking about? God forbid. Know ye not that that which, he which is joined to a harlot, a whore, what's a modern word Irish for floozy, an easy girl. He that is joined to a harlot is one body, they now become one, for two, says he back in Genesis, shall be one flesh. Is that what you want to be? But he that is joined in the Lord is one spirit. Verse 18 says, flee what? Run from it. 
Every sin that a man doeth without the is without the body. All right, you lie, uh, you steal, you um, uh, uh, all kinds of things that you do that are out uh, um, that is sin outside of fornication. It is all outside of the body. But when you commit fornication, and that includes pornography, you sin against your own body. You so defile your body. That's why he says, verse nineteen, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? No, it ruins it. That's why the Bible says flee fornication. Fornication simply is physical sex or any kind of sex outside of marriage. Now, I know 50 years ago, everybody thought all sex was bad, and that's wrong. The Bible says marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. You hear that word, undefiled. So it's not that I've met some people who said, well, I'm married, but we don't get together. And I said, why? Because, you know, that stuff's not, not kosher. And that's not true at all. I'm ashamed of this modern age that has to struggle with, with real basic life, and that is they can't conceive that sex is good in marriage. And yet all the people seem to be struggling to get it outside of marriage. You know what's problem is? Sexually transmitted diseases have increased exponentially here in Ireland. They don't talk about it. But one in five young men and young women will never have children. You know why? Because they've been fooling around. They've been in bed four, five, six, eight times, and they find out they got a disease, and mama and daddy are so uh, uh, embarrassed about it, the kids are embarrassed about it, and they're looking for cures for all this. Let me tell you, flee it, because it will hurt you. It will hurt you. Defiled Christian life is a ruined life. There are people in this room who are functioning, they're going to school, they're having success with girls and guys, they got the looks, they got the friendships, but all that will collapse one day. It will all collapse if you don't take your body seriously. Your body, your body was bought and paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? I mean, if somebody, if you're dying on the, on the operating table, the, uh, the surgeon's there trying to take care of some problem, whatever, and you're dying, and uh, they, uh, your, your organs begin to shut down, your liver stops working, your kidneys stop working, and then somebody steps up and says, take mine. And the doctor says, but if you go on to the operating table and we take yours, you'll die. And that person says, I don't care. I want that other person to live. You ever wake up and you find out somebody died so that you could go on living, you would appreciate it, Amen. If you realize the only reason why you've got breath today and why you have any hope today and why heaven is open to you today is because somebody gave their life for you. His name is Jesus Christ. So every square inch of your body, inside and out, now belongs to Him. Every square inch. There's no part of your life that, that He didn't free from sin and from penalty of your sin. There's no part that He shouldn't have control over either. And for isn't it just obvious that we should glorify God with all of my body, with all of my spirit? Don't trade your body and how clean and how innocent God gave it to you. Don't trade it for the pleasures of sin that last for just a season. Don't lose it to this world. How do you want to live? Look at Titus. Go to the right, find Titus chapter 1. As... Uh, Weston says, it's among the three T's. Timothy and Titus, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. You need to memorize this verse. Titus 1.15 says these words. Under the pure, all things are pure. Hmm. But unto them which are, what's the next word? There's that word. But unto them which have been defiled... And unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. How do you want to live? You want to live clean? You want to live innocent? You want to live with a good conscience? Or do you want to live defiled and ruined and defeated so that nothing is, is clean to you? Nothing is good. Nothing brings joy. You ever notice that? You know, a thankful person uh, it just just 
they seem to have joy, I guarantee you their conscience is clear. But a person, but a person who just never can get right with God, never can just confess their sin, never can humble themselves, I don't care if they won the lotto, they cannot and will not ever be happy. It's the truth. So how do you want to live? Well, it starts with some good cleaning. Don't think you're just automatically right when you wake up in the morning. You need some good cleaning. Take your Bible, turn to Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27. Matthew 23, 27, Woe unto you, Jesus said, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye are like unto whited, we'd say white-painted sepulchers. That's a, that's a tomb. Which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Now here's the truth. Here's the truth. We need some deep cleaning. Now, Nita and I are different. You haven't figured it out. I figured it out a long time ago, all right? <laughs> but she'll say, you know, we need to clean up the back garden. You know what I'll do? I'll put on my ugliest jeans, paint, and all this stuff all over everything, and I'll head out there, and I'll mow the grass, and I'll pick up the, the stones, and I'll, I don't know, it looks great to me, you know? I'll organize stuff, sweep the... Uh, the patio and clean up all around and I'll come back in and she'll look outside when are you going to clean up the garden I go I just did and she goes out there and opens up the shed dumps everything out of the shed says get out of here boy <laughs> and we start going through that stuff throwing away stuff that I wanted to keep and putting stuff back in their place listen I'm like most of you I like cleaning what's visible but my wife goes deep amen and the Lord needs us to go deep today, amen? We need to go deep. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts to a desire to just be clean. That doesn't mean that we don't get soiled. That doesn't mean that we don't get defiled. People defile us. Things just soil and get inside this head of ours and our heart. We don't have to stay that way. We don't have to live that way. And we definitely shouldn't. So this morning, I pray that we would listen very well and with all our heart desire more than anything to be able to worship you at the drop of a hat from a clean heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, I want to show you two verses real quick here. Look at John chapter 2. Because I'm going to show you some things here this morning. You're going to have to continually repeat. This is really maybe going to blow your mind. But you know, Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, the first of his ministry, when he started his preaching and teaching ministry, and he came down to Jerusalem, the first thing he did when he got to the temple, right here, chapter 2, verse 13. The Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those that making money off of religion, sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. When he made a scourge, a whip of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen, and, they, and he poured out the changers' money, and he overthrew the tables. Don't you tell me he wasn't upset. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. You know what's amazing? Go back to Matthew chapter 21. That was not the only time he had to do that. That was not the only time he had to clean out the temple. Matthew 21, verse 6. He's now at the end of his three and a half years of ministry. He's now... Back in Jerusalem, on the final week of his life, Sunday he has come in on the back of a donkey. He has been praised as the future king of Israel. Chapter 21, verse 6. 
And the disciples went and Jesus commanded, go in and get in this donkey. And they brought the ass and the colt and they put on them their clothes and put on the ass and the colt their clothes and they set him thereon. And very great multitudes spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went back into the temple of God. And what did he do this time? Same thing. He cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them again, It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. What's the point? When you clean up your life, it's like, like your, your, little, your little kids. Get them ready at, at half nine on Sunday morning. And then you go out, you go and you finish getting maybe breakfast cleaned up and you get dinner on and you got everything and you go back and there they are. They've got chocolate all over them. Where'd you find the chocolate? You clean them up, they get dirty again. We get this temple cleaned up, guess what? We will need to clean it up again. So let's start on this. There are five areas that need good, deep cleaning in our lives. I don't know how much I'll be able to get done, but I'm going to try to get five of them done. Number one, in our heart. We've got to get our tongue fixed and cleaned. We need to get our desires cleaned up. We need our thinking cleaned up, and we need our past cleaned up. So let's start with the heart. The deepest part of you is your heart. I need you to go to two verses. Psalm 64. Psalm 64. Verse 2. Psalm 64, verse 2. David is praying and he says... Psalm 64, verse 2, Hide me, Lord, from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. Run down to verse 6. They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. But the inward thought of every one of them and the heart itself is what? It's very deep. You know, our heart, we always think of it as, I remember being a kid and somebody says, just make you a fist, and that's the size of your heart. And now we're talking about a spiritual heart, but that's not very big. But when you open up your spiritual heart, you've opened up something that goes real deep. So it's going to have to be cleaned really deep. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can find out the depths of it? The unconverted heart is absolutely chock-a-block full of darkness and sin. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. Mark 7, 21, Jesus is trying to teach about what defiles a man. Pharisees thought that if you ate with dirty fingers, your fingernails weren't clean, then you were, you were defiling yourself. But verse 20, he, Jesus, said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, out of the heart, and they defile the man. You know, before you were saved, I don't care if your mama thought you were the most, most perfect kid ever, you were wicked. You just didn't get caught. The faster you finally own up to that and admit that, the faster you can get saved, amen? 
An unconverted heart will keep you filthy and wicked and damned like living in a sewer. No wonder the devil wants to keep people proud. Their heart hard. Because he doesn't want you to have a new heart. Listen to Ezekiel 36. God promises, he says, a new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. An unsaved man or woman's heart is like a sewer pipe bubbling up inside you when it could be a fountain of clean, fresh water. Jesus, speaking to the woman of the well, said, if, you knew, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. She says, evermore, give me this water. And he says, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto eternal life. So somehow God is able to replace that sewage with clean, fresh water. Amen. A defiled, poisoned Christian heart, just like an unsaved person's heart, is vile and defiled and wicked. A Christian's heart can be vile and defiled and wicked. Go back to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. That says 5, but it should be 15. Under the pure, you'd wish that that was all Christians. It's not. Under the pure, all things are pure, but under them, speaking to even Christians, that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. You know, um, a defiled Christian heart will never love like it should. And I'm here to tell you, it'll never know love like it could. And when your heart is full of sin, and Christian, don't you dare get the idea that God will protect you from sin. Because God will let you do whatever you want. Did God stop David from getting up on top of that roof and looking around for some TV channel that had an X rating on it, or an 18? Did God stop him? And he won't stop you either. So whatever you let to defile you, Christian, will ruin you. Make it so that you hate life. So what do you need to do? You need to search your heart. I say you need to search. The first place you need to search is for idols. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7 says, Now, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about new believers who, who were not taught yet, and they were, they were watching Christians eating food offered to idols. They were watching Christians just sitting under the presence of idols and, and not even caring about it, and it was, it was hurting the testimony of Christ because they were being flippant about what was evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 7 Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge that the idol is just a stone. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is what? You know, it's very important for you to watch out for idols in your home, in your life. Now, hopefully you don't have any idols. I mean, we still got some things around here I wish I could break or get rid of. But this is, our, this is not our building. But in your house, if you still got a statue to Mary, let me encourage you, throw it away. If you still got a statue to Jesus, get rid of it fast. If you've got a statue to St. Christopher, it cannot help you find anything. Okay? Get rid of the idols. God hates them. But there should not be just as real as that is and just as, you, as quick as you should be able to, uh, you'd be wanting to get rid of those physical things you should be careful of the worship of sports. You should be careful of the worship of entertainers and the love of money in your heart. Well, what's an idol? 
Anything that fills your heart and your time so that you have no interest in God or Jesus or the Bible is an idol. Anything that, is, that you will gladly sacrifice for more than doing the will of God, that is an idol. Anything or anyone that you love more than God is an idol. Anything that you seek more than you getting just wanting to know God, that is an idol. According to Exodus chapter 20, when it talks about, thou shalt not make any graven image and bow down unto them, it says, God judges them to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. I mean, there's a hate-hate relationship. When you set up an idol in your heart against God, God says, we're against each other now. Because you know why? He says, I'm a jealous God. That heart belongs to me. That place of worship is for me. No wonder the devil wants worship. You know what Daniel did? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat because that bit of steak was part of idol worship. And he says, I will not defile myself by participating in idolatry. And there are too many Christians who are not in church today because their boys or their girls or their husbands or their wives are out busy doing something more important. And it's an idol. Amen. I didn't get anybody. I got one amen. So go looking for idols in your heart because idols defile it like you don't know. Look for unbelief, Hebrews 3. Look out for unbelief in your own heart. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Hebrews 3, 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest, then he's talking to Christians here, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. Keep each other encouraged while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So be careful of unbelief. You know what unbelief is? It's your first step to ruin because you start to doubt that God's good. You start to doubt that God is in control. You start to just start to blame God. And that evil heart of unbelief soils your heart. And it may take you years before you get back to where you love God like you used to. Don't follow that. Look and see whether you're just a tolerant Christian. You put up with pastors preaching, but you don't believe it. Check in your heart for apathy. Go to Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. In verse 15, Matthew 13, 15, apathy. For this people's heart is waxed gross, that means has become super full, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, less than any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Go to chapter 15, verse 8 now. 15, 8. Verse 7, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Check your heart and see if you have a hatred of anybody. You hold on to hate, it defiles you. I don't mean you trust everybody. <laughs> Cursed is any man that trusteth man. But you got to love them. Amen. You got to love them. Check your heart for hatred of anyone. Check your heart if there's any unforgiveness toward anybody. Anybody that you cannot forgive becomes a huge wall between you and God. And, you're, and, and it's like backing up the toilet. You want to live with a toilet that does not flush? That's what your heart's like when you cannot forgive that person who hurts you and offended you. Now, how do I get all that cleaned up? Well, it's real simple. Call on the presence, precious blood of Jesus Christ to purge it and cleanse it thoroughly. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us, present tense, from all sin. You can actually claim that blood as the cleansing agent for your life. Your heart needs a good wash, and sometimes you need to stop and quit 
bringing God all of your things you want and just say, Lord, the one thing I want is to have my heart clean. And I just ask for the blood right now to purge and wash and cleanse me on the inside. You see, you can't cleanse your own heart. Job asks and says, can a man cleanse his own heart? And you can't. Jesus can. That's why he shed his blood. It's the only cleansing agent. One time I was teaching the kids, I had a whiteboard, and I had a, I had a, a, a marker there, and I wrote the big word sin, but I, it was a permanent marker. I, N. I said, okay, kids, come up here. Let's try to erase that sin. It's one of those kids, I gave them the, the, the eraser, then they went up there and, and it wasn't going nowhere. I said, the only thing that's going to wash that off, now there's something neat about whiteboard markers. They're made with oil. I took a red whiteboard marker and I went up there and I wrote the blood, B-L-O-O-D, all over it. I said, now wash it. And he went, and it was gone. It's a great illustration, amen? The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse your heart so that you can worship God again. And the second thing you ought to do is you need to ask God for the new heart. Constantly. What does Paul, what does David say? He said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. You don't need to get saved over and over again. You're going to sin. You're going to fall. The devil's going to grab you, pull you down. He wants to have you again. And he will knock you for six. He will bring you to the lowest point you never imagined. And you need to just get up and go, Lord, I need that heart again. I need that fresh, sweet, clean, beating, soft heart again. God, don't let me get hard. And he'll give it to you. Why? Because that's his job. That's what he does. Too many people are praying for money. They're praying for girlfriends. They're praying for boyfriends. They're praying for cars. They're praying for jobs. Ask God for a new heart, a clean heart. He'll give it to you. Second thing, our tongue. We're in Matthew. Look at verse 18. Those things which proceed out of the mouth, they come forth from the heart and they defile the man. You realize, hey, let me just say something that's really profound. Words defile not only the hearer. Can you say things that can hurt and defile other people? But words not only defile the hearer, but they defile the speaker of those words. Hurtful words, angry words, sharp words defile the speaker of those words. Go to James chapter 3. James 3 and verse 6. James 3, 6 says, in the tongue is a fire. <laughs> a world of iniquity all wrapped up in a little member of your body. So is the tongue among all our members that it defileth the whole body of the speaker there and setteth on fire the course of nature and it itself is set on the fire of where? Where does, where does a sharp tongue come from? Does it come from Jesus? Where does, a, where does a harsh, blasphemous tongue from? It comes from hell. And it'll ruin your life. So how do, you, how do you clean up your tongue? Well, you can't do it yourself. The Bible there tells you, it says, um, verse 7, every kind of beast, of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. I don't care how saved you are. You cannot tame, control, fix your tongue. But you can clean it up. You need to own up what you've done wrong with your words. When your mouth has exploded like an oil well, I don't know, I'm from Texas, and I've been around those oil wells, and there was one of them that went off, and they were filming it live, they said it was, going to be, it was going to be one of the biggest ones at the time. This was back in the late 70s, and the film crews were there. And this drill thing there was, was working, had one of these uh, uh, frames that was like one of the tallest ones ever. They had gone, I don't know, a mile down. It was, they said, this is going to be one of the biggest gushers ever. 
And when that thing blew, they had anchored that frame and that drill and that motor and all of the equipment around there. When it tapped that oil well, it blew everything into the sky. It was awesome. But it was violent and it was destructive. And it took them weeks to go back over there and figure out how to cap that thing. Next time you're so proud of how quick you can pop off and take somebody down. Remember that oil well, it only destroyed. The first thing you need to do is own up to what you've said wrong with your own words. And then secondly, you need to apologize for every word that was not right. Sometimes you do need to rebuke somebody. Amen. Sometimes you do need to say, that was hurtful, that was wrong what you did, or whatever. But you know, when you, when you speak only to hurt, you need to say, I'm sorry. Amen. So how does that fix you? It humbles you. It actually helps you. You'll never, you'll never get to where somebody doesn't upset you. You'll never be that way till you're in heaven. But it'll make you so you're slow to speak. Amen. Slow to wrath when you have to apologize. Didn't your parents ever teach you that? I said, you're sorry. <laughs> and the third thing you need to do, Oh, well, humiliation. Humiliation can overcome a fierce and a sharp tongue quite well. No wonder the devil keeps people so proud so they never can say, I'm sorry. Third thing, I'm dealing with basic sins. But this one's big. The day that we live in today is like Noah's day. It's like the days of Lot when people, and I, for the last 80 years, there has been the defiling of little children like we never dreamed. And that was going on in Sodom. Today, people are, I mean, you pick up, I used to pick up the pink pages there to go looking for things, you know. Now you go to adverts.ie, you know. But pink pages, the middle section, everybody looking for partners. They weren't looking for partners. They are looking for sex. Trying to fulfill their lust with unimaginable pornography and perversions. Hollywood ought to be called Slut World. Romance novels should be renamed Pornography in Print. Women today blatantly flaunt lust, and women want it. And men want it. And women too. And lust has done more to ruin marriages and churches and countless lives. I'm talking about lust, not the acts, but the heart. Fornication and lust is a deadly poison. And it's destroying churches left, right, and center. You know, when people come to church, if they come at all, nothing sweet. The, the hymns mean nothing. The preaching doesn't grab the heart. I wish you realized how fearful a, a condition you're in when preaching doesn't prick you and cut you and help you and thrill you. Amen. You know why it is? Because iniquity abounds. The love of many shall wax cold. Because we're so full of lust, so full of pornography, so full of images, so full of wrong loves, we can't love anything that's right. Fornication. First Timothy, you're in James maybe still, go to First Timothy, chapter 1. Thessalonians and Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 10. Verse 9, start there in verse 9, well, verse 8. 1 Timothy 1, 8, But we know that the law is good, and if a man use it, if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. It's for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, it's deadly. Lust is deadly. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee it. Flee fornication. Lust is desiring something that is out of bounds. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, finish it for me, God will judge. Remember that the next time you're tempted to look on a woman, the next time you're, you're excited to show off your body as ladies, 
You have people in this church probably have pictures and videos and music videos on your phone that you'd be ashamed if somebody found them. Our lusts need to be cleaned up. Would you agree? You know, it's right to have good desires, isn't it? Amen. Godly desires. Is it wrong to desire to be married? No. Is it wrong to desire to, to have a, your house and a home and to have a job? Is it wrong to have right desires? Of course it is. A desire to serve God. Or a desire to win. We need our desires cleaned up so that we think and desire right things. Now, lust can be cleaned only by opening up about it. You know what the devil loves? Secret sins. You know, Paul, right, David cries out there in Psalm 19, cleanse thou me from secret sins. So you need to find somebody that you can trust that will help you, and you just talk about it because the moment that you bring it out into the light, the devil has no more grip over it. That's why counselors help, because they get you to talk. They get you to, to bring out what you've been holding on to forever and ever and ever. Then back to that blood, you need to believe the blood of Jesus Christ still cleanses even lustful thoughts and desires and images and feelings. You know what he can do? He can unplug the power of that image that's stuck in your head for the rest of your life. Amen. He can make it so you're sick of it. You know, I pray when somebody's struggling with drink, I pray that God makes it taste like gravel. Amen. And if you're struggling with pornography, you're struggling with lust, you know what you need to pray? God, make me sick of it. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ can do that. And then you need to fear the poison of lust enough to flee from it. Every time it pulls you and tempts you to go back into that chain, you need to remember this verse in Proverbs 16, 6. By mercy and truth, honesty, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. If people only knew how much trouble they were going to be in with God for messing around with sin in their lust. I'm going to finish. I don't know how, but I'm going to try. Thinking. Our thinking needs to be fixed. Most, most, if not all, of your and my thinking is defiled, if we'd be honest. We grew up in a time. I'm glad I grew up in a time when the television was on probably an hour a day. And Saturdays, for about an hour or two, we watched Tom and Jerry, The Roadrunner, Bugs Bunny, and then at 9 o'clock, we were kicked out for the rest of the day to go dig holes and climb trees. And I'm glad I grew up, at least at that time. I don't know what kids are like now, man. How are kids growing up? They're ever going to be able to read their Bible. I don't know. How are they ever going to be able to think rationally? They're just going to follow the flow. They're just going to believe whatever the politician promises. They're just going to walk off the cliff because they can't think. Ladies... Your thinking needs to be changed because you've not been liberated. You've been exploited. Amen. This day and age where ladies are willing and excited about wearing whatever they want to wear and, and walking and talking the way they want to talk and, and flaunting what they've got, thinking, I've been liberated. I can do what I want. I can tell you what I want. I can get what I want. And you've just been nothing but exploited by the news media and by the advertising, and they're making money off of your stupidity. Shouldn't shock you. The TV, the movies, the music videos, especially the radio, the music, your friends, they have twisted people's thinking so that you can't have a normal conversation. You ever started talking to somebody and they just sort of go, Hello? I don't know. I talk, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by some of our young people, but I talk to some people and I wonder, are they there? Minds are twisted. Everyone's offended and triggered. A lot of Christians today can't sleep at night. They're messed up in the head. I may not be able to see what's going on in somebody's thoughts, but you can see how it's affecting them because they can't look in the eye, they hate life, they just grumble, they hide everything on their phones and their tablets, computers, and they just grow darker and darker. And you know what it ends up in? Bitter people. 
And I thought about this as I was finishing up this last night. Do you realize that hurts don't make you bitter? People hurt you. People hurt you bad. But hurts don't become bitter. Wrong thinking turns into bitterness. How we view our hurt and what we think about all those hurts, that's the pot that bitterness boils in. It all starts in the head, man. How do you clean that? With a thankful heart. Go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. You know, the devil cannot stand somebody going against the flow and saying, praise God anyway. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation, everything that you say and think and do, let your conversation be without what? It's thinking about what you've got to have. Think about what somebody else has that you don't have. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now that's in the context of verse 4. Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled. If you're single, thank God you're single. If you're married, thank God you're married. Amen. Because he'll never leave you or forsake you. Be thankful. Then identify wrong strongholds that, that, that the devil is, is set up. I don't even have time, but 2 Corinthians 10 says Satan sets up strongholds in our thinking. And you can't leave them there anymore than you leave a rat's nest in your house. Would you do that? You know what a rat's nest does? They're almost as prolific as, as rabbits. <laughs> if you let them just live there, you know what you're going to have? Lots of rats. And if you let the devil occupy your thinking, he will take over. You're going to have to pull him out and kick him out. And the Bible says you can. You need to believe it. And third thing, you need to replace your thoughts with right thoughts. Don't you get, don't get in this idea where you come to church, you say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry for what's going on inside of my head. And then go right back and watch the same TV programs. What you need to do is start putting in some good thoughts. How about God's thoughts? How about some scriptures? How about some promises? How about some things that just cut deep in the heart and clean and change the way you think? What sort of things are true? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are of good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Replace all that stuff. You know what'll happen? Give yourself three weeks, and I guarantee you, your thinking will be different. It'll be, you'll be like, I, I, I don't wake up with bad dreams. I don't, I, don't, I don't struggle with what everybody thinks about me. I'm just, I'm just able to think and sometimes not think, and it's wonderful. Our past. Last point. Would you agree that the devil loves your past? By the way, he has a perfect memory of everything that you, so try, you try so hard to forget. And our past offenses pile up unless we do something against every offense. Everything that's done against us, set against us, all the abuses, everything poisons us until we get rid of it. For, for most people, for most people, there is so much, am I getting there? Yep. For, so, for most people, there's so much history. They can't trust anyone. They can't love anyone. They can't rest. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, who's the devil, cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life. They might have it more abundant. You know, even all your past, I mean everything, can be cleansed. It actually can. It can be washed. Hebrews 10, 17 says this, their sins and their iniquities, almighty, infinite God decides I will never remember. Sins will I remember no more. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. You know, no sin should, should haunt a Christian. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But what do you do with all that past? 
I'll tell you what you do. All that past is kept there because you're holding a grudge against somebody. You need to forgive the offender. Leave it to God's judgment. You're not there to, to, to bring justice. Forgive the offender. Secondly, believe God's plan for your life is bigger than the devil's. You know what the devil meant to do to Joseph when his brothers hated him, sold him into slavery, and forgot about him? Do you know what the devil was trying to do to Joseph? Destroy him and stop him from ever being used of God. Ever being anybody of importance. The devil wanted to destroy the nation of Israel that was in the early stages of its formation. It was such a mess, and the devil was planting seeds like time bombs that were going to just explode. And the devil's meaning of that event selling Joseph down to Egypt. Joseph turned around and says, God's plan's bigger. What you meant for evil, God meant for and we know that all things, even my past things, all things work together for good to them that just love God. I'm telling you, you need to believe that God's plan for your life is greater than the devil's plan. If you want your past to be washed and clean so you can look back and go, I was stupid, but I don't live there anymore. I was wicked, but I'm washed now. Amen. You don't have to be ashamed of that stuff if you know it's under the blood. And then lastly, you need to trust the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to purge your conscience because the devil will bring it up and bring it up and bring it up and remind you like a, like a, like a video. And you need to just, there's that blood again. Isn't that funny how I'm trying to bring that up several times? It purges our conscience about our past. Let me finish. Psalm 29, 2, and we're done. Psalm 29 and verse 2. I'd like you to take your own personal sin seriously this morning. And you think about how hard it is for you maybe to worship, not because you're not good at it, but because you're not clean. Psalm 29, verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You can only worship God in the beauty of holiness. So search your heart. Search your heart. Look for the idols that are there that have more, more importance than God. Clean up your tongue. Own up to what you say and things you don't say. You know, there's plenty of things that aren't said that should be said. Amen? Now, I'm not so keen on this one scripture, and sometimes, you know, uh, I'm not sure what to do with it, but the Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. But I, Instead of kissing, could you just tell me you love me? <laughs> you appreciate me? I'd take that any day, amen? So, made him jump there, all right, anyway. Clean your tongue. Clean up your thinking with a thankful heart, man. Purge out your lust. I forgot that one. That means cast them down. Things that are just sticking up there just become, they, they actually define you. And too many young men will never be happy married because they're ruined by 14, 15 years old. Let me tell you, you need, to, you need to know the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. If you are saved, you need to watch out. The devil means to ruin your life with those stupid pictures and that internet on your phone. Clean up your thinking and wash your past under the blood. Out of the world, you'll look like a fool. Some of you need to go back to a, a clamshell flip phone, so all it does is make calls <laughs> so that you don't have the Internet on your, in your pocket. Some of you need to walk away some, from some friends. Some of you need to go back to your husband or your wife and beg their forgiveness for how bitter you've become. Some of you need to stop remembering all the wrongs that happened to you over the last 20 years. You need to just start living clean. Because if you don't, if you don't, God will get you. God will judge the defiling in this body. And I prefer to be clean. Let's pray. Father, a different kind of message this morning.
And there's not a fiber of my body that can brag about a victory in any one of these areas outside of your grace and your patience in my life. There's plenty to work on for the rest of my life, God. But there's one thing that I want to be defined as, and that is somebody who wants to be clean, who hates it when I'm defiled, when I'm soiled. And when I stay that way, it grieves me just like it grieves the Holy Spirit. I want to worship you in the beauty of holiness. You are so worthy. And there's too many people who will say that you're worthy, but their heart is far from it. So this morning we're going to take just a moment and not say a word, not do anything, but talk to you. Say, Lord, man, if I were to go into a temple and see as much muck and filth like you see in my heart, I would run. But you instead tell me to get a shovel, get a broom, get a mop, get a scrub brush, get bleach, whatever it would be to clean up a physical temple. Well, I've got some tools to clean up this spiritual temple. And I want to. Because you're worthy. I don't know why you love a wretch like me. But you purchased me and I belong to you. Therefore, I want to glorify you, even with my body. I wish we all would take a moment just say, I'm sorry, God, for letting it get so soiled. I'm sorry for all the images that I'll never get out of my head. I'm so sorry about all of the past that has built up and hasn't been purged. I'm sorry. I ask for not only forgiveness, but I ask for a clean heart, oh God. I pray we all are. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.